Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. We're going to be looking at a few, a few different things really. There's, there's been a, I don't know if you've noticed over the past few weeks, there's been a bit of a theme that has been happening um, in, in the content of what Tim spoke about several weeks back, what I spoke about a few weeks back, what Jack has been speaking about. And I think it's a theme of, um, kind of God's presence, God wanting to challenge us and, and call some of us out. I've, I've heard just a few stories from people over the past few weeks, um, and some people have said to me, and just signs of God really doing something very specific at the moment, which is always exciting when you see um, people responding to what God is doing. So there's something specific. So I encourage you to listen to what is happening at the moment. There's a, there has been a theme. It's not been like a series that we've been branding under one umbrella, but there's a definite theme that we've been kind of pushing into. Um, Tim was talking about following Jesus, and he says, come follow me. You know, that's, that's, that's what Jesus says. Come follow me, not if this and but that, and just come and follow me. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, to follow him. I was talking about a few weeks back about um, expectancy when we come to worship and about how when Jesus walks into a room, anything can happen. And getting back to that place that when we come to church, when we come to worship, we don't come just thinking, oh, I know what happens. We come, we have a drink, we sing a few songs, and then we get home. But when Jesus walks into a room, anything can happen. And just coming with a new sense of expectancy of what God could do when his people meet together. And then last week, uh, Jack spoke about the glory of God. And if you weren't here last week or you're up in the kids, I really encourage you to go back and, and listen to that podcast because I just thought Jack spoke brilliantly last week talking about the glory of God. And, and he said one of the things that stuck with me was he said about how so often we walk around with the weight of the world on our shoulders, but God wants to replace that with the weight of his glory. And sometimes I confess, probably, I don't know, it's a generational thing, but the word glory I sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable with. It just makes, it's a bit, um, uh, I don't know, whether I associate it with kind of areas of the church that sometimes I feel a bit "Mm," about, but God wants to replace the weight of this world with the weight of his glory. It's a good kind of weight. It can be an uncomfortable kind of weight, but it's a positive, changing weight of God's glory when it comes and fills a room. So we're going to kind of talk in a similar area this morning. My title for this morning um, is, Can't I Just Go to Church on YouTube Now? It's the 21st century. We have iPhones, we have iPads, we have laptops and tablets, all sorts of devices that we can find podcasts and talks from preachers all over the world. We can um, find music on something like Spotify. You've got all the music ever kind of thing on your phone. You could find a worship CD of your choosing. You could do all this kind of stuff. You could maybe go on Facebook and you think, well, I could still have the social bit of church. I could do it on Facebook and chat with friends or chat, you know, those sorts of things. And some of this stuff exists. I'm not going to bash that. There There are big churches that do these kind of online services and I think that there is a place for that. There's some people that benefit from that for whatever reason. So I'm not completely bashing technology this morning. I work in technology. That's not what I'm going to do. Um, it's good. It's a good thing. But what I want to kind of touch on this morning is, is 
the, the kind of more the side of Sunday morning can't why do we still do this? Maybe you don't come to church very often and you look around and you think, what is all, why are people stood, stood worshipping and singing? What's it all really about? Why do they do that? Maybe you've been coming for years and still sometimes you have those questions. What am I doing stood here meeting together when I could have stayed in bed this morning? But this morning I kind of want to sort of touch on this question. And there's a few ways we could go on this. We could go on that kind of social fellowship side. I'm not going to be looking at that too much, although that's a big kind of area of this. Um, But I'm going to kind of look more on the side of worship and what happens when we gather together as believers and as Christians. Now I'm going to answer this question um, in, well, two quick ways. One way, yes, you can just stay at home and watch church on YouTube, and I don't think that's going to affect your salvation. Jesus is going to love you exactly the same way. If you do that, it does not affect the way that Jesus views you. Jesus loves us. His love is unconditional in that way. Jesus loves you. So in that sense, great news, you can stay home and just watch church on YouTube. However, (laughs) there's the big however that you're waiting for, Um, there are a lot of things in scripture that we look at um, when it talks a lot about and stories which are set in a setting of when people gather together. So last week Jack spoke from, I think it was, um, I think it was in 2 Chronicles when it said about how the glory came and they met together. The people were together gathering at that point. You could look at um, Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given and all the laws were given. People gathered together for that. At Pentecost at the start of Acts, people were gathering together when God sent the Holy Spirit. So there's something in the Bible, all these key events, that people are not at home on their laptops. They are, they are gathered Together, And now you might say that was a cultural thing, but as we look today, I think it is a lot more than that that is going on. I'm just going to fire off just a few verses for you, which they won't come up on the screen, but just to kind of get some scripture in there, just to, on the importance of meeting together. And these are all New Testament scriptures as well. Um, just quickly, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some. So even in the New Testament church, there were some that stopped meeting together. But here it's saying, meet together. Don't neglect meeting together, considering how we can stir one another up. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. This is one that we quote quite a lot. Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. So when we gather There Jesus is. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Acts chapter 1 verse 14, it says that they all join together constantly in prayer. That's, the new, that's actually in Acts. That's the New Testament church. They joined together constantly in prayer. In Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So I think that's just a brief, just picking out various scriptures, ones that we might be familiar with, but how important it is that we gather together to worship as one. So What I want to do this morning, we're going to kind of come back to that question at the end, but I want to spend some time this morning looking at 
what happens when we worship? And this is a topic I've talked on before. Um, I'm very aware of that, but I think it's a really important topic. It's on the subject of worship, which you might think, oh, how inventive of time to talk about worship, but that's what I'm talking on this morning. And I, first of all, and again, this is something that I've said before, and I need to say it again. First of all, the first thing we need to remember when we're talking about worship is that the first thing of worship is it is not about us. It is about us giving to God, Okay. Um, We were created on day six in Genesis. God got on just fine without us. He managed to make the world and animals and the seas and the skies and nighttime and daytime. He did all of that without us. So God does not need our worship. Worship is not an ego trip for God. But that is the first thing that we do when we come to worship on a Sunday. Not about us. It's just about giving glory and praise to God because we recognize how amazing he is and how worthy he is of our praise. So that's the first thing. That's the small print. So I'm going to talk more on kind of what happens to us when we worship. But I just want to say that because I would not want us to get into the mindset of thinking that when we gather, it's just about what it does in my little world. It's something bigger than that. It's just us declaring to God, regardless of what we got in return, which is God's grace. It's just that we're saying, God, you are amazing and I worship you. Even if we never got emotional, even if we never got a goose pump when we were singing, we're just saying, God, you are amazing. That's the first thing of worship. I love some of the songs that Tim picked this this morning. It wasn't about me and I and I feel this, although I I love those songs as well, but it was just simply saying, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other. God, first place, number one, God on his throne, let's praise him. But I want to unpack a little bit of what kind of happens to us when we worship. When we worship, what do we do? Because you might be thinking, as I read those scriptures about how we can all meet together and how good that is, you might be thinking, well, Tom, it's 2016. We can do that on the internet now. We can still worship God. We can meet together. We can do all these things. It's just culturally they had to meet together. Tom, they didn't have Facebook then. You're being silly. Now we've got Facebook. We've got YouTube. We've got podcasts. So we can just we can do it this other way, and it's fine. I can do it from the comfort of my bed on my computer, and that's all very nice. But we're going to kind of unpack a little bit more later on of what happens more um, when we gather together and why that is still so important rather than just doing it digitally online. But three points that I want us to work through this morning. Um, And the first one that I want us to talk about, and these are going to, I'm not going to spend too, too, too long in each of these, but the first point is that when we worship, our situation changes. When we worship, our situation changes changes. So often we can think when we meet together that it's a very passive kind of event. We stand, we sing some songs, and then we go home. But when we worship, our situation changes. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but actually worshiping, it doesn't just make a noise. Our situation changes when we worship. Life I'm sure you'll find this. Life has a habit of happening to us. (laughs) Things would have happened to us this week. We can probably think of things that have happened even this week that um, have caused us to feel stressed maybe, that have caused us to feel anxious, maybe just overawed and feel a sense of lack of control, maybe things that have scared us, that have worried us, that have made us feel fearful. These things happen to us all the time, don't we, where we can feel like just we can't quite control what is going on. 
I'm going to put this another way. Can you think a time this week, can you think of a time, and actually try to do this, can you think of a time this week when you've had this stuff going on, but to put it another way, a time when um, you felt like these things that were happening have had authority over you. That might sound intense again. But a time this week when stuff that has happened, you felt like it's had authority over you. Or a sense that it's dictated your emotions. And even if you wanted to, you've not been able to change how you feel about the situation. I remember a time not too long ago, just a few weeks back, where I was really in my head about stuff. Um, just a few things that were going on. And I got in my head about it. I was worrying a little bit. I was feeling a bit out of control. And I knew I, could, I was able to step back and think, Tom, you're being ridiculous. That stuff that you're worried about, it's probably not going to happen, and it's not an issue. But I, I just seemed to, I couldn't seem to let it go. I was still worrying about it, to the point I was getting annoyed at myself for worrying about it and feeling anxious about it, because I knew it was nonsense, but I just couldn't seem to kick it. And, I, oh, and it was so annoying, because I knew it was ridiculous. But what happened... In that situation, was that thing that was happening had authority over me. Even though I wanted to change the way I felt about it, I still felt a bit stressed out and a bit anxious and a bit worried, even though I didn't want to feel that way. But what I want us to recognize this morning is that the level of authority that a situation has in my life decreases when I worship. The level of authority that a situation has in my life decreases when I worship. There's this um, passage, which again, it's one that we read regularly in Exodus chapter 3.14. And what's happening in this passage, it's a well-known bit where God has called Moses to go to the, to the Israelites, but Moses doesn't really want to go, he's not sure he's equipped. And Moses says, well, God, when I go, what am I going to say? I don't know what to say to them. And um, it reads this in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 3. It says that God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. In that passage, God gives himself the name, I am. I am. God says, just say that I am has sent you. I am who I am. If God is, that means that we are not. God says, I am. So that means, it has to mean, if God is, there can't be two things that is. God is, therefore we are not. So when we feel overwhelmed and we're struggling and we're feeling stressed and we're feeling anxious and we're feeling out of control and we don't know what to do about this situation and that situation, when that happens, these situations have become the I am in our life. They've become the thing that is. But God says, I am. So when we worship and we say, God, you are. It's you, God. You are. We're saying that God is and all this other stuff is not. If God is, all the stuff we're worried and concerned about and stressed about, that stuff is not. So we are taking their authority and their power over us because we are saying, God, you are on your throne. So all of this stuff that competes and tries to have authority in us, when we worship, those things change. The order changes. Worship reorders things in our life. 
So quite literally, even though we sometimes just stood in rows singing songs, I believe literally, literally, when we worship, situations change. The way we view situations, the way that they have authority over us, it changes. This changes so, 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 so much. So worship is so important for us to do because it reorders things. And it reminds us that God is and all the other stuff is not. So worship, when we worship, our situation changes. Second of all, if you think that's amazing, this, is, um, this blows me away. When we worship, the culture changes. When we worship, the culture changes. It's a bit far-fetched, isn't it, Tom? Slow down. You know, we're just, you know, not many of us in a room singing songs. How does that change the culture? When we worship, the culture changes. So we just talked about how our situation changes. That's a little bit more about our perspective and how we face different situations, how we um, kind of handle different things in life. But this is a lot more literal. This is talking about our home, our street, our office, our families, the different things that we do in life. Whatever it is that we do in our Monday to Friday, on our weekends, the, the, the setting that we do that in, when we worship, the culture changes. How? (laughs) Go on, Tom. (laughs) How? How does this happen? Just one quick verse in Psalm, verse 24, verse 8, where it says, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. That the King of glory may come in. I want to suggest this morning that if... The Queen, Queen Elizabeth II herself, walked in this morning, came to church, came to the Freedom Center this morning. I want to suggest that we would probably know about it. (laughs) I don't think she would be able to sit quietly in the back corner and kind of go unnoticed. I think if the Queen came to the Freedom Center on a Sunday morning, she would bring with her um, numerous different people and things. She'd probably bring security with her. There would be her, I don't know, her butlers and her maids or whatever they're called nowadays. She might bring some corgis, some little dogs running around. She might, she might bring a prince, probably like a carriage might pull up out the front. You would know about it. The queen, the queen of, of England, the queen of the Commonwealth, wouldn't just be able to walk in and go unnoticed because when the queen comes, she brings with her other things. And I want to say that when we worship, when we usher in the King of Kings, he brings with him the kingdom. When we worship the King, he brings with him his kingdom. He brings with him his culture. So when we worship, we will see healings salvation. We will see hope. We will see joy. We will see all the things that come along with our King. I find that so exciting that when we worship the King, He brings with Him the kingdom. When we say, come Lord Jesus, it affects our surroundings. A worshipping church a truly worshipping church will be an active church. A worshipping church will be a missional church. A worshipping church will be a purposed church. 
A worshipping church, I don't think a truly worshipping church that comes to worship the King of Kings and really says, Jesus, we want to worship you. Come, Lord Jesus. I don't think you can stay the same. I don't think you can just come and go and come and go and nothing else to change because when we worship, it spurs us on. We see change. We see a whole culture change. All these things comes with it. Which, which can set us on fire to go and to be the church that is alive in our city. I don't know whether you've ever heard this before, but I've, I've heard people, people, good people, not bad people, I'm not bashing people for this particularly, but I've heard people, um, maybe people that are more um, kind of go-getters, evangelist sort of characters, that can sometimes, I've heard these people say, we don't need to worship, we need to stop messing around having all our church services, and we just need to go and get on with it. Now, I love their enthusiasm, <laughs> I love their enthusiasm, but I want to suggest that if we're not worshipping, if we're not worshipping, it's, it's all being done in our own strength. And I want, to, I want to come against the idea that worship is just this kind of static, safe little period where we just stop and nothing happens. I think I've said um, a while ago when I spoke on this subject that I think some people see worship as like a service station. You know, you're only like you're busy doing your stuff and you kind of pull in and have a stop, have a break, have a drink so you can carry on. But honestly, the worship is so much more than that. It's not static. Worship is when stuff really moves. Worship is when stuff happens. Worship is when we get set on fire and we feel again that we want to go, 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 go for Jesus because he's bringing his culture with him. So when we worship, our situation changes. And when we worship, the culture changes changes. If I had more time, I'd go into stories in the Bible, like when Paul's in prison and they worship and then the gates are opened. I'll talk about um, in 2 Chronicles, King Jehoshaphat, where there's their army and, their, and the other army has like dwarfs them. So they just start worshiping and then the other army start fighting with each other. Like it's, it's crazy. But when we worship, situation changes. When we worship, the culture changes. And third of all, when we worship, our heart changes. When we worship, our heart changes. For me, um, worship, both kind of corporate with church and worship I'm just at home with me and my guitar or with CDs and stuff, and that, that was the place where I really kind of decided I want to follow Jesus. No one preaching at me. <laughs> No one particularly even challenging me, but it was in that environment, in worship services and just sat with my guitar at home, where um, it, it changed my heart. It changed my heart. Those um, times, I think probably the most formation, um, formative times of my life, I think. <laughs> just worshipping. Worshipping God, enjoying his presence as a young, a young age, r- telling myself and getting it um, grounded in that God is and I am not. And I think those times of worship change my heart. Even today, I see it when we worship. I know my heart changes. As we spend time in his presence, our heart will change. Our hearts change. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more that we begin to look like him, and the more we begin to act like him. I don't know 
whether you've ever seen, it amazes me, some, uh, in the past I've seen maybe an adopted child, and I don't know they're adopted because they look like they're adopted parents. <laughs> Have you seen that? They've got nothing, no, um, nothing of their makeup is their parents, but they look like their parents because they spend time with them, they've grown up with them, and they look like their parents. When you spend time with Jesus, our Father, we will begin to look like him and act like him. That's not necessarily a physical thing. We're not going to grow beards and all this kind of thing. But the way that we act, the way that we behave, the way that we are, will begin to reflect the way of Jesus. Matt Redman, in his book Mirrorball, he, he says it this way. This is a great quote. He says, In worship, beholding is becoming. In worship, beholding is becoming. He says, The more of Jesus we see, the more like him we become. To see Jesus, to really see Jesus, is to be changed. And I've just seen this happen, as I said, so many times in my life and in people's life in our church. I've seen this happen. I've seen them come in one way, and they spend time with Jesus, worshiping him, and they change. They change. I see this time and time again. We, Sophie and I had something this week. Uh, we got a letter in the post um, saying, uh, like, from the Inland Revenue that we owed this money and we didn't know what to do about it. So we, we, did, we didn't want to do it. We didn't want to do this, but we sat and we worshipped. And you might think, how cute that thing, little songs together. But it's powerful. It's powerful. You might think, well, I can't do that. I can't play guitar, Tom. But you can put music on. You don't even need to put music on. You could just sit there, pray, go over scripture. But we had to do it. We had to do it because we felt a little bit defeated at that point. But when we worship, my heart changed. The way I approach it, the way I feel about it, it changes. God's presence... Is his power. Sometimes we can strive and we can try and make stuff happen and do it in our own strength. No, no, this, I've had this letter in the post. I don't like it, so I just need to sort it out. I need to will up some strength and fight it. Now, that might be great in one sort of way, but when we just pause and say, no, no, I'm going to look at the one who is above all of this. Because this thing, that letter that I had, suddenly had authority over my emotions and the way I felt. And I had to say, no, no, you don't have the authority for that. Jesus is I am. This letter is not. <laughs> Worship is a liberating, freeing, wonderful thing. So that's just three points um, that I wanted to, us to look at. How worship is not just a sideshow, it's not just entertainment, it's not just something we do because we've always done it in the kind of this church and in the history of the church. We do it because it is vitally important and it can, um, as well as we said, giving God glory, it will change us. It will change the people around us. It will change the way we see situations. Worship is not just an event. It's not just a thing we do on Sunday mornings. Let's have a time of worship It should be something that breaks out of Sunday mornings and that we just become a church of worshippers because it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, can't I just go to church on YouTube now? 
you might think, some of you are thinking, right, I've been convinced. Some of you are thinking, okay, I hear you, Tom, but all of that sort of stuff, I don't need to do it on a Sunday morning. I can do it at home. I can do that at home. You even gave examples of times where you've done it at home, and you're right. You're right. Worshipping at home, I think, is um, a brilliant, wonderful, wonderful thing. But I just want to look at um, another passage. We're going to close on this, but this is really my main text for this morning. So if you've nodded off up until this point, this is the bit that I want us to really see this morning. So we're going to look at 2 Samuel, chapter 24, verse 18. 2 Samuel, verse 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 18. And it says here, it says, On that day Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. And when Anona looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arona said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. So let's just pause there for a minute. So what is happening here is there's a plague going on, bad, bad times happening. But David gets told um, by God through this guy called Gad to go to this place, this guy Arona's house, and on the threshing floor, this just a place where they kind of um, trampled out all the wheat and all that sort of thing, which is not really relevant for this, but just so you don't get confused. Um, Go there and build an altar towards me. Make a sacrifice at that place for me. So this is kind of Old Testament language. So for us, let's just see that for now as God told David to go and worship there. Go and worship me at that particular place. Um, So verse 21, it says, David answered, So I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arona said to David, Let my Lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arona, gives you this to the king. Arona also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. So Arona gives David everything that he needs, everything to do this. He says, you can have it. You don't have to pay for it. It's yours. Off you go. You might think, oh, it's wonderful. What a lovely guy. Fantastic. Verse 24, but the king replied to Arona, no. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So this, going back to this idea of church on the internet, on YouTube, sat on your bed, you know, you could sleep in a little bit later, you wouldn't have to get up as early for church, you get yourself a nice coffee, find yourself whatever service from around the world takes your pleasing that morning and just get yourself in bed and have a little bit of church, that might be really nice. But what this passage says to me is that the worship that really pleases God's heart is something of cost. Something of cost. David 
wanted to pay for the sacrifice himself. Someone else is willing to do it for him. You, you just relax. You relax, David. I'll, I'll pay for it. I'll sort it. You know, it's all, it's all covered. But David said, no, no. <laughs> it's worth more than that. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And again, that might be a bit Old Testament language. So I will not worship God. I will not bring an offering of worship that costs me nothing. It can be easy to always let others pay the cost. But real worship from you to God is just for the audience of one. You bring in your worship to God. And no one can do that for you. No one can do that for you. Tim, for example, he led worship this morning. There was, there was a, a cost that he paid to be here. You know, three kids, new baby, full-time job, all the stuff going on. But he paid a price to get up, to be here. Rachel, bless her, having the kids, all that sort of thing. Um, coming on Thursday night for practice, there's a cost. But I, th- I think that that is pleasing worship t- to God when there's a cost involved. The stuff all around that we see, drinks, welcome kids, youth, where people pay the cost. Let me just flip this round for a minute. This is a great thing. <laughs> I mean, this, this can be a heavy thing, but this is a great thing. There's people, all the, so many people in this church, the things that you do as part of your worship, when there's a cost to it and it hurts and you don't want to do it, I believe that that is when our worship is the most pleasing to God, when there is a cost to it. When it's so easy just to let others do it, let others do it, let others do it. When there's a cost to our worship, I believe it's pleasing worship to God. Some of you argued on the way to church this morning because one of you wanted to stay home, one of you wanted to have a lie-in, one of you wanted to go away for the weekend, this sort of thing. It's a cost. It's a cost. And I believe when you come and worship God with a cost, there is blessing there is blessing. It is pleasing to God's heart when we do that. God's glory, which Jack talked about last week, God's glory is not cheap. It is not cheap. You could easily come to church on a Sunday morning and, and think, well, I'll just come and I'll sit and Tim can lead worship. He can do that bit. Other people can do the worship. I'm just going to sit and I'm just not going to really get involved. But God wants your worship to cost something of you. God wants us to be a church who prioritize, prioritize his house, who prioritize his presence. He want more than just a cheap consumer worship experience. I've heard that phrase before. Come join us for our worship experience. What? What's a worship experience? God wants something that is that's costly where we bring an offering of praise and of worship to him. Sometimes it's our time. The cost could be our time. Sometimes the cost is our money. Sometimes the cost is that weekend away that we wanted to do, but we want to come and worship. Sometimes it's the lion when we're tired. Sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes it's just stepping out of our comfort zone. We're in church and we don't really want to do anything, but God wants our worship. Our worship. Everyone else might be worshipping, but God wants your worship. God loves worship when it costs us something. 
That is beautiful worship to God. This is where worship is not just standing, singing songs. It is us bringing something costly, saying, God, you are worth this. You are worth this. You're worthy of our praise. And I think for our church, if we can capture how beautiful worship is to God when we bring something costly, something of worth, all those things that I talked about, how worship can change our situation, how worship can change our culture, how worship can change our heart. When we do those, when we worship something that's costly, those things happen all the more. We will see The king come and the king bring his kingdom. We will see our situations that have been overawing us. We will see the authority move from those situations because we're saying, God, it's you that is and not all the other stuff. All the times, even this very week, we have just felt completely lost. Maybe we felt angry, bitter, resentful. When we worship, there's such peace. There's a lightness. There's a heaviness to God's glory. But there's a lightness as well. I think unless you experience it, you probably won't understand what that means. But God's presence is powerful. Tim, if you want to come back up. So, in closing, again, back to this question. So, can't I just go to church on YouTube now? I think that that guy in the scripture, Arana, I think he would say yes. I think he would say yes. Of course you can. Just worships, fine, not a problem. Someone else can pay for it. But I, I think that David, who the Bible says, describes as a man who was after God's heart, I think that he would say that I will not offer worship to God that costs me nothing. Should we stand? For more information about our church or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcenter.com.